I'd just like to make a very important announcement before you resume listening to this podcast. Um, I will repeat this later on in the series because I recorded that episode before I recorded this announcement, which I am adding to the beginning of the series. But if you would like to send your answer to any of the questions which I read off in this series, feel completely free to do that. Um... If you do, you know, I would be more than happy to add you into this podcast. Add, I will add your recording, and I will respond to it, and I will have discussions with it. Um, so, let's make things more interesting together. Yes! Yes, please, 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 please. I would very much love it if you'd help me out by sending in some answers, recordings, etc., um, for the questions presented in this series. That would be awesome. Okay, so here I have a book titled 3,000 Questions About Me. Um, in this episode, or series segment, um, we will be using questions from this book published by Piccadilly Incorporated in the USA uh, to sort of self-reflect um, and uh, get to know me, figmentation of your imagination as well. So I will be reading off the questions and pausing for you to come up with your own answer. And then I'll explain my own answer. So let's begin. Um, question one, what is your idea of perfect happiness? Okay, well, I don't know about you, but I think my idea of perfect happiness is cuddling up with a nice hot cup of tea and a good book, maybe even some awesome snacks. (laughs) Uh, Question number two, what is your greatest fear? Okay, well, my greatest fear is death itself, and yet also kind of not death itself. It's kind of strange. Question three. What is the trait you most deplore in yourself? Okay, well, I'm really not sure there's much I deplore about myself, except that if you know the right buttons to push, it's really, really easy for me to become angry. And uh, depending on what it is that you've done, it's it can be really difficult for me to find it in me to forgive. Most of the time I can forgive, but there are just certain acts that just kill me. Um, anyway, uh, question number four. What is your greatest extravagance?
Okay, well, uh, I think mine, uh, the thing that I get really extravagant about, I don't know, that's somewhere between, uh, that's somewhere between cosplay, if I get really into it, for conventions, and going crazy buying books. Um, so yeah. Uh, question five, what is your current state of mind? Okay, uh, mine feels kind of like a mystery. My current state of mind is quite calm and kind of sleepy. Um, I'm not really, I'm not really feeling much right now, except for, you know, happiness from reading. Uh, chapter, I mean, question six, what do you consider the most overrated virtue? Okay, well, that's a difficult question to answer for me. Uh, I actually think most of the virtues are very important, so I haven't really thought that much about which ones I would think would be overrated. Um, maybe... I don't really think they're overrated. I think that there's something that should be heated. Uh, seven. On what occasion do on what occasion do you lie? Not going to lie, I've sometimes been tempted to lie when I know that my grades weren't that great because uh, my parents place a lot of emphasis on grade value. Um, so if I get anything lower than a B, a lot of the time it's, it's, it's scolded and yelled at, which makes me really not want to tell my parents when I have a C. Um, anyway, uh, eight, what do you most dislike about your appearance? Okay, well, I kind of don't really like my nose. I mean, it fits my face, but I feel like it's a little bit, uh, a little manly for a woman. My mom would say otherwise that it's completely not manly, but I see a lot of weird things in my face when I look in the mirror that I don't quite enjoy, and that's probably the worst one. Um, nine, which living person do you most despise?
Okay. Well, uh, I'm sure that many of you listening might have thought of someone like Trump. Uh, quite honestly, though, I don't really, I can't really think of anybody I actually despise. Uh, I've even gotten over some past issues dealing with exes. I wouldn't consider the fact that I despise them anymore. I'm actually more afraid of those people than hating them. So that's out the window for me. I can't really say I despise anyone. Um, Question 10. What is the quality you most like in a man if you are a straight woman or if you are gay or bi? It doesn't matter. What What quality do you most like in a man? Okay, well, uh, the quality I most like in anybody is bare honesty. Kindness is great too, but honesty is the thing that really matters most. I can't stand people that lie to my face about something and then turn around and do something else. That just messes with me. Um, And I think that's it for me on that question. Uh, So till next time... Hello, this is Figmentation of Your Imagination, and we are back for episode two of 3,000 Questions About Me, in which I will ask the questions, and I will pause to let you, the listener, think about your response before adding my own. So, we were on question 11 last time. We left on question 11. What is the quality you most like in a woman? All right, well, uh, I'd say the quality I most like in anybody, as I said last week, um, is honesty. I just, I prefer somebody to be completely honest with me. I don't like liars. (laughs) I mean, I can understand lying in some circumstances, you know, like if you're going to get punished or grounded for some reason, but in all other areas... I usually don't accept lying. (laughs) I try not to, at least. Um, Anyway, uh, question 12. Which words or phrases do you most overuse? Okay, well, I think the words and phrases I most overuse are probably like and I think, I don't think, um, let's see. Oh, let's see is one of them, actually. Uh, If um or um, or if uh or um could be included in that, I also use those quite a lot. Um, (laughs) um... Hey, what's up? 
Um, well, I think a lot of people tend to overuse how are you. I, I think that might be it for me. I'm, I'm not sure. Maybe might might even be something I could include there. In fact, almost any word that sounds a little bit doubtful but not completely negative, you could probably put on the list for me. Um, so, uh, question number 13. What or who is the greatest love of your life? All right, good responses, I hope. I mean, I I can't hear them, but I'd like to say good responses and leave it at that. Um, anyway, uh, what or who is the greatest love of my life? Well, I don't really know. I mean, I will put it out there that I'm not currently taken at the time of recording this bit of audio, um, but I, I have been in love before though, but that person, um, probably doesn't realize that I loved him a lot and he probably never will understand it or see it. Um, so that, the person part of this question probably already came to pass, um, but if I go for what is the greatest love of my life, that's a huge question. Since I have Asperger's, it's kind of it's kind of a thing that I go through about roughly every seven to ten years. I find something else to become obsessed with. And at the time right now, um, my obsession is the Disney company. Um and my obsession about 10 years ago was Japanese animation. My obsession before even that was anything having to do with paleontology. So who knows what my, what the love of my life thing will be uh, in the next 10 years. I'm hoping still Disney. I mean, I've never stopped liking any of the things that I liked in the past. I still love dinosaurs. I still love anime. And I love Disney. But... There's always, there's always something going to be adding added on to that. Anyway, question 14. When and where were you happiest? All right. Um, I think when and where I was happiest, well, pretty much any time I get to go to a Disney park, that's when I'm happiest. Uh, but man, there have been some other places where I was really happy that made some really happy memories that are gone now. Um, so if I go by the when part of this and where at the same time, uh, I could actually name other places. Um, 
Like, let's see, as a young child, my favorite place to be besides home was probably the library. And I wasn't allowed to go there that much because I would always come back with armfuls of books that my mom didn't want to have to deal with. Um, I've always loved reading. Um, and speaking of which, I'm probably happy almost every time I have my nose in a good book. Uh, and as I said, I, I've been happy every single time I've gone to a Disney park. I cannot go to Disney and not be happy. That's like impossible. I mean, I've even gone to Disney after my worst tragic heartbreak ever and just spinning on those teacups in Fantasyland just undid all of the hurt. <laughs> uh, there's just something really magical about Disney. Um, and I do actually have some books that cover some of their secrets, so I may uh, add some of those t as readings to my podcast channel at some point. Um, but uh, the other theme parks, though... Um, Universal in Orlando, I've been going to almost as much as I have Disney World. And back before they started making the changes that they're making now, um, Fast and the Furious, the Nintendo World, Transformers, all that jazz. Go, like, if, you, if you've ever been there, go back to the time when... Uh, well, this might not be this might not be something pleasant to hear for a lot of people because I hear the Hanna Barbera attraction had a lot of fans, and I don't blame them because I love Hanna Barbera, but go back to the time around like early two thousands when Jimmy Neutron and Nickelodeon were ruling half the park. That was the best. I mean. Wow. Like, I think E.T. had more attention, so there were more people riding bikes with me to the Green Planet. That was a lot of fun. Um, Beetlejuice and his pals were always having their graveyard review, like, every hour of the day. That was the best, too. I would never, ever go to the Universal Park in Orlando without sitting in for a graveyard review. Never. And... I never I also never went without going on one of those terrifying terrifying boat rides at Amity <laughs> either. Um I really loved the Jaws ride and the first time I went uh I had also ridden Back to the Future and King Kong Confr confrontation. Yeah, confrontation. Those were all the best attractions ever at Universal. I mean, seriously, I'd, maybe people who love thrill rides might not feel the same, and I respect that. But as somebody who has a heart condition and anxiety disorder, dark rides that tell more story than do uh, special tricks are a whole lot more fun for me anyway. So I was happiest at Universal back then, and now that's kind of not always the case, but I will still go back in the hopes that things might get better <laughs> someday. I just have to get up the courage. Um, but I am definitely always happiest at a Disney park. You will not catch me at a Disney park unhappy. Maybe since I do have Asperger's Syndrome, um... You might not catch me smiling, but you will probably hear me giggling at some points. You'll hear me fangirling over certain attractions or certain gifts in the shops, etc., etc. Um, so yeah, anyway, uh, question 15. Which talent would you most like to have?
right? I hope you thought of the talent that you would most like to have. Uh, I honestly have no desire for any other talents. Well, maybe cooking, if that could count. I mean, just as a house chore, though, uh, to make myself better food. But other than that, I'm I'm pretty pleased. I mean, I can carry a tune in a bucket, uh, and I know basic piano, um, and I can play. Actually, I'm not very good at reading higher level sheet music for piano, so honestly, I play more by ear than I do, and by memory, than I do reading sheet music. And a lot of people say that that's actually way more amazing than reading sheet music, but I'm not sure about that. Um, so I can kind of play piano, I can kind of sing. Um, oh, excuse me. Excuse me. Um, and uh, I've kind of learned how to draw cartoons so I can kind of illustrate. And I've always had a bit of a talent for writing and reading ever since I was like five or six years old. Um, so I really kind of have no talent that I would really want to ask for. Especially since I'm not a huge person on attention. Like, if I get masses of attention, I get super, super shy and stressed out and nervous. So, yeah, a big talent is not something I would want. Not not unless it's something, you know, like cooking that would help me on a day-to-day -day basis. So sorry about that. I dropped my phone. Um... Anyway, uh, getting on to question 16. If you could change one thing about yourself, what would it be? Alright, I hope that you thought of what you would like to change about yourself. Um, as for me, uh, well, let's see. I would probably, I would probably change my fears and apprehensions about moving to new places. Uh, I, I, I have to admit, I believe in the paranormal and I am drop-dead terrified of running into something very unpleasant in whatever house I move into next. Um, and I think that's about it. Well, maybe... Yeah, I think that's what I would pick. Uh, question 17. What do you consider your greatest achievement? Alright, I hope you've thought of your greatest achievement. Um, what I consider my greatest achievement so far to date would be that last year, excuse me again, last year I entered a 
creative writing contest for short stories. And I wound up beating, I think, at least 100,000 people from uh, around 100 different, 100 or 200 different countries. It's been a while since I read the message that they sent me, but I didn't win the competition, but I certainly beat out a ton of people, and that really, really screamed that I have talent as a writer right in my face. So as we speak, I've been trying to come up with some books to publish. <laughs> uh, more on that another time. Um, uh, 18. If you were to die and come back as a person or a thing, what would it be? Alright, I hope you thought of it. Um, if I was to die and come back as a person or a thing, what would it be? I think it would be a cat. I sleep all the time. I'm fairly lazy. I'm a night owl. I get most of my energy at night. And you know, those of you that have cats indoors definitely know that they like to wake up at night and start making noises and scratching things and jumping all over the place. And they'll keep you up. And I'm kind of like that with uh, whoever I live with, my parents at this moment, they uh, apparently, it drives them crazy that I stay up all night and can't get up during the day. Um, and uh, question 19, where would you most like to live? I hope you thought of it. Um, I think where I would most like to live would probably be a competition between somewhere in Britain and somewhere maybe in Japan. Uh, Hawaii actually could be nice too, but I heard some pretty nasty things about Hawaii recently. Not, not events, no. It has to do with the local wildlife. Apparently, there are some pretty nasty lizards there that, well, can actually cause disease and bacterial infection for humans that they come into contact with, and that does not sound pleasant. Um, but, yeah, um, I would probably pick either Britain or Japan, but I, I like where I live now, too. I mean, I don't have any qualms about it. I actually really love it, and I love all the childhood memories that are here for me. Well, moving on. Um, 20. What is your most treasured possession? I hope it quickly came to mind. Um, my most treasured possession. Oy, that's a competition between my complete collection of books so far, especially books that I've read. I mean, because 
reading, what you read and what you learn are irreplaceable. Um, but also, um, also I'd say that another most treasured set of possessions that I have or am beginning to accumulate is, uh, Hollywood autographs. Um, no, it's not like I buy them off the internet. Um, I'm not that crazy. I actually would rather just wait until the people show up at a con or convention, um, near where I live so that I can just go and get it done myself. Because really, it's not the autograph that matters so much to me. It's the memory of getting the autograph. So, like, when I say that I treasure my autographs, what I really mean is that I look, I'm looking at the autograph and I'm remembering that moment when I got to sit and talk to that person. Um, so, yeah, that, those are very much treasured. I mean, because, you know, there's always, there's always the odd chance that many, I'm sure many of you listeners out there can probably identify with being a small child and watching a favorite movie maybe even over and over, and you have a favorite character, and maybe it occurred to you that, God, I don't think I'll ever get to meet or talk with the person who played this character, yada, yada, yada. Well, if I'm being specific, um, I thought that about every single Disney princess I'd ever seen. And now, finally, I'm getting to go to conventions where the princesses at least the ones from my childhood are starting to show up. And oh man, man, is it an emotional experience to go get those autographs in person. The autograph itself really doesn't matter. It's the memory. It's the fact of knowing that I have gotten to speak with Paige O'Hara and Jody Benson and tell them how much as a little girl, I thought that that would never happen. I saw their princesses on my television set and I would just, I would almost come to tears thinking about how I'd never get to meet that princess. And then here I am standing with them, getting to talk to them. It's, it's awesome. It's a really awesome feeling. It's more than just the autograph. Like I keep repeating. Um, but anyway, uh, and that's only a few of the autographs I have. I mean, I could actually make a whole episode dedicated to how many people I've gotten to meet by now. Uh, but yeah, I don't, I don't think I'll do that though, because that seems, that seems really weird. Anyway, um, so that's the end of this episode in the series. Uh, stay tuned for next week when we'll be answering questions twenty through thirty. Bye. See you later. Hello and welcome to episode three of 3,000 Questions. Um, so we are picking up with question 20 and going all the way to 30 this time. And to begin with, question 20. What is your most treasured possession? Which, oh, I think, I think that we actually, hold, hold on. I think that I did that one last time. <laughs> so this is actually 21 through 30. Uh, okay, what do you regard as the lowest depth of misery? 
All right. Uh, what I regard as the lowest depth of misery. Well, kind of hard to say because it misery is defined differently by everybody. To some people, the worst misery could be poverty. To others, the worst misery is physical abuse or mental abuse. Um, and that's the majority. That, that's most people actually find that to be misery. And I'm not saying that I don't. I really do. I actually know people that have gone through some things like that. It's not fun. Um, but what I probably regard as the lowest depth of misery, though, is in the case when it's something really inescapable. Like, I know that uh, mental abuse, physical abuse, poverty, they have lasting mental effects, but it's not quite the same thing as being somebody who is born with a mental issue um, that kind of, kind of gives them, how would I put it? Sometimes, from time to time, they have, when they have this, when they're born with this, sometimes from time to time that person might suffer things like thoughts or feelings, the likes of which nobody else would be exposed to outside of like a Stephen King novel. It's pretty awful. Um, and... I'm gonna go and I'm gonna go ahead and say that I do kind of have something like that. It's not schizophrenia. It's not that bad. It's not something that I actually wind up acting on, but it's pretty horrifying. And there have been times when, um, I have actually I've never I've never actually acted on it, but there have been times when I've had the thought go through my head of, well, you know on myself because it's not easy to deal with having this issue a lot of the time. I'm lucky, I'm just lucky that I want, that I wound up being one of the few people that has great friends, um, actually has things they love doing, has a really supportive and loving family. I'm just saying, I'm born, like, there are people that are just born that way with that stuff and it doesn't, matter what happens to them in life they're just born with it but I have to admit that the people that have it and are born into other miseries like poverty or some kind of familial abuse they are more likely to act on it I, I'm not um uh, but if you want to know what it is though uh what I've got is called something called OCDTD obsessive constructive no obs obsessive destructive thought disorder um, obsessive compulsive destructive thought disorder. There we go. OCDTD. Uh, it's kind of a spin-off form of OCD that sometimes comes with depressive issues and anxiety disorder plus Asperger's. Um, it's really rare though. Like it's not one of the Aspie symptoms that happens in like over probably 5% of Aspies. I just happen to be one of those people that got it. Um, but yeah, uh, look up OCDTD. That's that's a pretty low depth of misery right there. I don't know if it's the lowest one. Uh, it may not be the lowest one to you, and that's fine. But to me, it's pretty darn low. Um, 
and I'm just grateful that I have people who love me that help me shake it off and fight it off because otherwise I wouldn't be smiling and laughing right now <laughs> while I'm doing this podcast. Uh, I-, I can be happy because I have people who love me. Anyway, um, 22, what is your favorite occupation? All right. Um, well, my favorite occupation is kind of a um, competition between writing some illustration or illustrating and oh, uh, well, I kind I kind of actually enjoy making chocolates. <laughs> I don't know if that could be an occupation, but. I love melting down chocolate melts and putting them into candy shape, it's not container, um, candy molds. There we go. Uh, but yeah, I'm actually still planning to do that, uh, here for Valentine's Day. Um, I'm looking for a Valentine's candy mold. I don't have one yet. Uh, I have a mold for Halloween. I have a mold for Easter. I don't have molds for St. Patrick's Day or Valentine's and I'm I don't think I got to get a Christmas mold last year but I'm working on that because I found out I freaking love melting down chocolate (laughs) um anyway uh 23 what is you what is your most marked characteristic marked marked characteristic All right, um, characteristic, it doesn't, the book doesn't specify personality characteristic or physical characteristic, um, so I guess, I guess that I would name one of each. My most marked physical characteristic, I think, would probably be my eyes, because, I mean, they're, they're more proportional now that I've grown into my face, but for most of my life, they've been larger than they needed to be, and they've been, like, ocean blue color almost my whole life as well, so they kind of stick out for their color and size. Um, and, uh, my most marked character character, my most marked personality characteristic, I... I don't know. That's that's a competition. Sometimes I'm sometimes people find me um notable for being brutally honest and then there are times when people 
consider me to be more sweet-natured, and then there are also times when people who are extremely close to me consider to be, consider me to be more of a witch. <laughs> um, I, I'm not sweet 24-7. I would like to be, and I try to be, but sometimes, just being real here, I, I'm sure everybody goes through this, but sometimes, you know, there's just those times <laughs> where you just can't take it anymore. Um, and you wind up yelling at someone, they yell back, and then you're both crying, and then you make up later, etc., etc. Um, anyway, uh, 24, what do you most value in your friends? All right, um, so, um, actually, you know, uh, come to think of it, I didn't say this in the first episode, but a little suggestion, I just found out that here on Anchor, um, that, uh, people who are listening into podcasts actually can send vocal messages to the podcaster. So actually I'm going to be doing these 20 second pauses for every question, but if um you feel you would like to discuss a question, um provide actually provide me with your own answer to any of these questions, feel free to send me the the voice recording and uh I'll make some special segments every now and then in this episode. Um or series. It's really more of a series to me, but I'm thinking on Spotify and all that, it's going to count as one episode. I'll add on parts to this episode where people can, like, answer some past questions and I can, you know, have a little bit of a conversation with them. I think that would make this a whole lot more interesting. Um, but anyway, what do I most value in my friends? Well, I value the same things in my friends as I do for my, as I do in myself. Somebody who tries to be nice and a little caring, but is mostly just honest. Honesty, man. That's what I really, really want out of people. I want people to know themselves and not lie about themselves. Um, so, question 25. Who are your favorite writers? Okay. Oi. Um well, let's see. These all these are all from different genres since I don't read just one type. Um I am a fan, of course, of JK Rowling, you know. Da 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 Yes, I go to Hogwarts. <laughs> um and, uh, oh, let's see, um, lately I've kind of become a little bit more of a fan of R.L. Stein. I mean, 
Because, okay, it takes a lot of skill, yes, to write a perfectly scary book that will terrify adults. But it takes something else, I think, to be able to write something that's still very creepy and be able to design it for kids. That, ta- that takes some, some more thought. It takes some age range thought added onto the normal thought process for horror. Um, I'm also a fan of Ray Bradbury. Uh, I, initially, I was introduced to him as a science fiction writer in high school with Fahrenheit, for, Fahrenheit 451, I think. It's been at least a decade. I may not remember the title correctly. Um, but I kind of liked it. And not long after that, uh, I got really, really, really into Disney. Hold on, excuse me. Excuse me. I became a Disney addict, and while I was learning about the biography of Walter Elias Disney, uh, I found out that he had had communication with Ray Bradbury and that they had been friends. Uh, And that made me a little more interested, but what really kicked me off wasn't the Disney thing. It was, I suddenly, when I turned 20 or 21, I started to remember that when I was a child, nobody was ever able to tell me why we have Halloween. Like, if I asked, why do we have Christmas? I got the whole nativity story. If I asked, why do we have Easter? I got the whole story of Jesus coming back. Um, If I asked why we have St. Patrick's Day, my family would make up some story about leprechauns or something. And it it just seemed like, oh, and even Thanksgiving. If I asked about Thanksgiving, my family would tell me about the history, or at least the um, watered-down history of the English and other cultures coming to America and taking the land by force. I really... I'm not a fan of the Thanksgiving story. I still love Thanksgiving for the food because I'm a foodie, but I'm not into the story. Um, It's awful. Anyway, though, it seemed like every holiday had some sort of explanation. But whenever I asked about Halloween, it was crickets. Nobody could explain Halloween. And I just was like, I felt... I don't know, I felt like something was missing, and I realized that when I hit the age of 21, after I had already been a fan of Disney for a while and known who Ray Bradbury was as a science fiction writer for some years, and I thought, well, gee, you know, I should do my own research and try to find out for myself what Halloween is. So I started buying up every single book I could on the history of Halloween. Um, (laughs) Sorry. Ultimately, it led me to learning the history of every secular holiday in existence, Christmas included and Easter. Um, And it was very interesting. As a matter of fact, I, I have a lot of... Uh, podcast episodes I'm going to add to this podcast in future that are going to be a lot more about those things. But as for now, uh, what the subject at hand. Um, so I got addicted to Halloween as much as I was Disney. And I heard from some corner of the internet 
that there was a book that had been written that was made out for children and it was a story, a chapter book. Um, and it had had a movie based off it for Cartoon Network and it was called The Halloween Train. And it was also, it was educational at the same time. It was a fun romp. And I was like, that sounds interesting. So I looked high and low for this book. Finally found it. And then realized, oh my god, it's Ray Bradbury who wrote this. And I've read it cover to cover several times. Um, and I think I, I think I have another Ray Bradbury book somewhere that I've been really into reading and it's not coming to me right now um but yeah like I just I was like oh yes I was like I suddenly loved him even more I even started watching the tv show that he had uh hosted during like I think the 80s um it's good he's 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 like it's like watching goosebumps but it's not goosebumps and it's more uh it's more, I guess you could say gritty than Goosebumps. Um, but it, it's really entertaining. Uh, some other authors that I like a lot. Um, one, uh, I'm going to outwardly admit I'm a furry. Um, and I've always been a fan of the Redwall series. So Brian Jacques is a favorite of mine from childhood. Um, and for those of you who have never heard of Redwall, um, and you are furries, and you like reading, go for it. Just, I highly recommend it. Go furry all over this series. Just, just, just go nuts with it. Just go get, go get, go get a Redwall book and find out for yourself how furry it is. And I don't mean like the kink kind of furry. I mean like literally like kind of like Zootopia. Like, everybody is an animal that talks, and speaks English, wears clothes, walks on two legs, and they have epic battles. They have amazing storylines. I just love Redwall. <laughs> uh, almost as much as I do Harry Potter. Um, oh, and that, that brings me to some other authors I'm, fans, I'm a fan of. Um, oh, Harry Potter led me into an interest with fantasy. I'm not the crazy fantasy type that reads every fantasy title. I'm really picky. So I have a few that I really, really latch on to. The first one, after Brian Jacques and Miss Rowling, was Christopher Paolini, who, uh, when I was a teenager, had been writing and publishing um, The Inheritance Cycle, which begins with Aragon. And I think it ends with Eldest. I think it's either Eldest or Brisinger. I, I really need to reread it, but I loved it as it was coming out. Um, and uh, another great uh, fantasy author is Lloyd Alexander, who wrote the Black Cauldron series, the Chronicles of Prydain. Those are really good too. And highly recommended for the fans of Disney that know what the Black Cauldron is and like it. That, that is two thumbs up. You're going to want to read that. Because it is, it's even better than the movie. Uh, and the movie was pretty pretty cool. Um, so yeah, just think about that. The movie's pretty cool. The books are like ten times better. Uh, 
Anyway, um, so that's as far as fantasy goes, and a little bit of sci-fi horror, um, and, uh, finally, I think that the last author I want to break up, bring up for this question, um, I'm also a fan of Edgar Allan Poe, <laughs> yes, I'm, I'm a goth kid at heart, <laughs> um, yeah, uh, and, of course, I'm a little bit stereotypical, you know. I probably know maybe half the lines, at least, to The Raven. <laughs> um, that's, actually, that's my favorite poem. There, He has a lot of great poems, um, but The Raven is my favorite. Um, and, uh, let's see, um... Yeah, I think that's, I think that's all of the authors, but I'm trying to think of, there's something else by Edgar Allan Poe, it's a story, a short story, uh, and I think it involved an incident with a guy in a gorilla suit, it's really funny, it's gothic, but it's funny at the same time, because nobody knows that it's a guy in a suit, um, it's not the title isn't coming to me uh oh well um so that's it for that question for me um let's see 26 who is your hero of fiction Alright, um, my hero of fiction, well, if they mean fiction writing, I guess I would say, I guess I would say that if they mean hero as in, like, a person you can look up to, and if they mean fiction as in fiction writing... I would say that that would probably be Rubius Hagrid from the Harry Potter series. He's he's my favorite Hogwarts staff member. And his character has a lot of qualities that I look up to in people. Um, I like, he kind of... <laughs> um... Okay, he's a terrible liar, for one thing, so he's kind of forced to be honest, when even if he doesn't want to be, he has a quality of honesty. Um, he has a lot of gentleness to him, even though he's kind of a half-giant. Um, he's very, he seems very careful most of the time, and he's really kind and even though whatever he doesn't have in smarts, he makes up with just being there for people, just being caring. So, I love Hagrid a lot. Um, 
But uh, if they mean fiction as in anything fictitious, not just fictitious writing, not, I mean, not just fiction writing, and they mean hero, like superhero, and the writing could be anything from writing, writing to like comic book writing or movie writing or whatever. Um, as far as movies go, my hero would probably be Edward Scissorhands. He doesn't seem like much of a hero, um, and he does get a very depressing ending, but he goes through a lot, and he still puts up with life, and he still goes on, and he still goes on doing the things he loves to do, even after the sad ending, and if that's not something kind of heroic, I don't know what is. Um, and then, like, comic books... Uh, I'm not a big comic book geek, but I did love manga a lot when I was a teenager, and anime, and, uh, I do have one comic book-like hero that came from manga that I have a love for. I love collecting merchandise of this character, I love watching his new stuff and his old stuff, um, I'm a little picky, though, uh, qualitatively, um, with his stuff, though. There are some things that they've come out with that I just choose to kind of ignore and just keep going on and accepting other new things that are better quality-wise. Um, and that would be the character, Japan's character, Astro Boy. He has an amazing series. Like... Uh, even trying to sum it up in one sentence saying it's basically a science fiction Pinocchio, that still doesn't do it justice. It, it really is science fiction Pinocchio, but it doesn't do it justice because people hear Pinocchio and they think fairy tale, they think cutesy, they think lighthearted. His story, not lighthearted at all. You will cry if you try reading his original birth from the comics. You will openly cry. It's like, it hits as hard as most people say it hit when, like, they were watching Titanic and the ship went down. Or they were watching The Lion King and Mufasa's death came up. <laughs> it's that much tears. Um, so... 27. Which historical figure do you most identify with? Alright, um, I don't really know for me, um, I, wow, uh, I never really thought about that before, and to be honest, I've never really read any history books that made me feel like I identified a lot with any person, um, I'm just kind of my own thing. I feel like I'm my own enigma, especially since a lot of people... There are historical figures that had Asperger's, but most of them weren't women that we know of. And most historical figures in general that they teach you about in school didn't have Asperger's at all or weren't women. So, I, I don't know. I couldn't really pick one. 
Um, so, 28. Who are your heroes in real life? All right, um, my heroes in real life. Well, obviously, my mom and my grandmother, first off, um, because they're the people that have been there for me the most. My mom's done a lot for me and stuck her neck, her neck out a lot for me in front of the school board for, for having to raise a kid with Asperger's, uh, my mom went out of her way to make sure I was put in classes where I was challenged, where I could actually make friends, where I wouldn't be abused or mistreated by the teacher, etc., etc., and I know a lot of parents who don't go to that extent for their kids, um, and every time we've ever needed help with money, my nana's always been there to help us. She's always come to the rescue for that. So anytime I needed money to pay a doctor's bill or anytime we ever needed money to, I don't know, like bake cookies for a school event or something so that kids would, kids and teachers would be more inclined not to pick on me. Um, that a lot of that was Nana. Um, so, yeah. Um, but... Heroes outside of the family, though, um, I'd say my list is probably Walter Elias Disney, Jim Henson, Tim Burton, and, uh, God, there was another one I had tacked onto the list the other day, and now I've completely forgotten who. Oh, boy. But those are my main ones. Uh... And kind of Osamu Tezuka, too, the creator of Astro Boy. And I could make a very, very long episode as to why each of them is a hero of mine. As a matter of fact, uh, that's why I'm working on adding podcast episodes to the overall podcast that talk about the biographies of those people. Right now, all I have up is one of the Walt Disney biographies. I plan to add more of his biographies. Um, I plan to eventually get around to reading all of my Tim Burton biographies for the podcast. And at some point, I actually might sit down and start reading the Jim Henson biography that I actually got um, autographed by Carol Spiney and Steve Whitmire. Um, Carol Spiney having been the man who has played Big Bird on Sesame Street since the show started airing in, like, I think it was the late 60s? Maybe the late 70s. No, it's got to be the, the, around the 60s, like 1969-ish. Um, and uh, Steve Whitmire being the guy who puppeteered and voiced Kermit um, from the 1990s all the way I think up to 2015 I think 2015 was when he 
uh, retired from the job. Um, but yeah, it's pretty cool because it's signed <laughs> by at least one person who knew Jim face-to-face -face and one person who I don't know if Steve Whitmire got to meet him, but he at least has been in connection with Jim's son. And that's the guy that I was just thinking um, about that I would like to add to my list because I am also a huge fan of Brian Henson's work with the Jim Henson Company. Um, he is amazing, and I am pretty sure he's probably behind... He's probably behind the new Dark Crystal series we're about to get, and already it looks jaw-dropping. I'm so hyped for it. I'm so excited to see the return of Jin and Kira. Um, but anyway, that's kind of getting a little off-topic. Um, so, uh, 29, what are your favorite names? All right, um, let's see. I'm going to try to pick two for a girl and two for a boy. Um, for a girl, Alice is a favorite of mine, and Annabelle is another favorite. Um, and for a boy, for a boy, um, I like Elliot a lot, uh, and, uh, let's see. It's kind of hard to pick another one for a boy, though. I think maybe Edward or Edmund. But I don't know. Um, maybe Victor. Edward or Victor, actually, would be... Comp th those would be competing for the second uh, place there. Um, so, yeah. Um, those are my top picks for male and female names. Um, question 30. What is it that you most dislike? Um, what I most dislike is, oh boy, it's not easy to put into one sentence. I can't simply say change at the Disney parks because sometimes the changes are really good and I feel like they will do something amazing for the parks and still be very... Uh, very much able to stand the test of time. Um, but, so, like, that's why I can't just say a change at the Disney parks. I have to be more specific. Um, like, right now, I think the thing I most dislike is the IP changes coming to Epcot. I'm fine, honestly, with Epcot gaining IP. What I'm not fine with is how they're doing it. 
I'm not a fan of just sticking the IP in there with no regard to educational framework. Um, like, uh, let me come up with a good example. God, I never, I don't know if I ever went to go see this show, but in one of the pavilions there used to be an attraction that had the characters from The Lion King, and they would teach about, um... They would use those characters to teach about the uh, environmental changes and different species and habitats in Africa uh, for the living with the land pavilion. Um, And it fit in well because the ride on top of that attraction, living with the land, was about agriculture and the progress of farming. So they were both about the world and the habitat and the animals that inhabit it with us, in a way. Um, That, I think, is what makes a good example of introducing IP to Epcot. Or, um, my favorite thing, actually, I totally forgot that this counts as IP. Excuse me. And a lot of people dislike me for saying this, but... I was a huge fan of the Three Caballeros Grand Fiesta Tour over at the Mexico Pavilion. I still love that ride. And as much as I love Coco, I mean, really, really love Coco, I mean, I went to the trouble of learning most of the songs in Spanish. Um, But even if Coco were to replace it, I'd feel kind of sad because I would miss the Three Caballeros. It would feel like something that's supposed to be there is missing. Uh, so, like, I, I don't really know what to say on that particular issue, but I do want to say that I do think that as it stands right now, whether Coco is added in or not, the Grand Fiesta Tour is all about all of South America. And... I thought, you know, I was I was raised in a school that taught that Mexico was kind of part of that same hemisphere. Not the same cultures, obviously, but the cultures do have connections between the various countries, Mexico included. Um, but that kind of, that they all count as, you know, South America generally. Even if they're divided into different countries, it's still the southern landmass to America. Um, So I always felt that if they just did Grand Fiesta, that kind of a kind of seems okay. At even as it stands, Um, it just seemed fine with me Uh, because I felt that. I mean, I live almost right next door to Mexico, and I go there, and I still feel like Mexico is very much represented when I go to the Mexico Pavilion. What I think is hurtful uh, would be, even though Coco would would make an amazing attraction, it would kind of shove out every representation of every other South American country in that area. I think that that's a little um, offensive for the people in the other South American countries like like Brazil and Peru, you know, or Chile or Paraguay. 
You know, what if somebody from one of those countries comes to Disney World, to Epcot, and all they find around the Mexico Pavilion is just Mexico. No representation of South America whatsoever. That's actually even worse than Mexico had it. Maybe the uh, ride right now is all of South America, but Mexico has dibs on the restaurant, dibs on the architecture, dibs on the name, Mexico Pavilion. They have everything else. They still have a lot of representation. Um, so I actually, as much as I love Coco, I'm not even sure it would be fair to convert the ride to Coco and have no more South American representation that spans all of the countries. That's really much less fair. But anyway, um, anyway, though, going back to the question of IP, either way, whether Coco represents, um, the three, whether Coco replaces the three caballeros or not, still, they, Coco needs to remain an educational item, like the three caballeros. Now, the three caballeros fits in without them adding much to the ride itself because the original Three Caballeros movies, Saludos Amigos, Three Caballeros, both of those um, were already educational documentaries in and of themselves of South American countries. So it wasn't a far stick to throw to come up with a ride that was based on their IP, but was still educational about countries. Um, and so, like, there's the kicker, I think. I think that if they just introduced Coco, it's very likely just, if we're lucky, it'll be educational about Mexico, if we're lucky. But standing back and looking at what happened to Maelstrom, oh my god, I... I I'm so sorry, but I really don't think Frozen was educational about about that country's area. I don't. I really don't. It 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 holds no education for the Viking countries. None. None whatsoever. It's just IP just there to attract more people. And that, I hope to God that if Coco does, rep- does, does replace the three caballeros, that that's not what happens. But uh, I don't have a lot of faith that that won't be what happens, considering uh, this year they're installing a little bit of a Beauty and the Beast attraction based on the 2016 film with Emma Watson um, to the France Pavilion. And all it is is a sing-along and I am thinking, oh my god, they're really, they're just sticking IP wherever in Epcot. And they're even, they even have the audacity right now to make that clear to guests. They are also installing a new nighttime show at Epcot, um, which is going to have a mix of montages and scenes from old Epcot, like, you know, the original Journey into Imagination, the Energy Pavilion, and it's going to have, like, their soundtracks all mixed in, and it's going to show montages of what the experience was like, 
and then it's going to transition really brightly into full Technicolor animated IP. And uh, I actually had heard somebody coin that the uh, send-off for old Epcot. Uh, and that really stung. That's something I just really... I'm looking forward to that nighttime show because it actually sounds better than the one that they had before to me. Not because of the IP, but because it will have um, the old attractions in it. So, yeah, but what my beef is, though, is that send-off. You know, quote-unquote, send-off. Like... No, like Epcot stands for Experimental Prototype Community of Tomorrow. It didn't even get to be a community. At least get it have, at least let it keep the experimental part and the prototype bit. You know, uh, words that denote progression in science and electronics and knowledge and and creativity and culture. Um. At least let Epcot stay what it was when it was built. Don't go changing it again. One of the things is, so at the end of this, to answer the question, one of the things I really dislike the most is the changes coming to Epcot because of the way they're being done. IP can be incorporated, as I was saying earlier, into a park that doesn't have any IP and still be hammered and shaped to fit the theme of that park. Um, I just don't feel like they're trying. I feel like they need to try a little more. Anyway, um, so that ends this episode for this podcast series for the week. Um, Next week I will be doing questions 31 through 40 out of 3,000 questions. So I'll see you then. Bye-bye.